What's the best thing you could give your family? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. We want to talk about having a happy home. You know, we have so many homes today that would call themselves Christians, but they're not very happy. And they're characterized by fighting and yelling much more than they are with peace and love and joy. He can heal every scar. What does it take to really enjoy and experience a happy home? Welcome to From His Heart today with Pastor Jeff Shreve as we're in the next lesson in his series, The Divine Design, God's Design for Marriage and Family. And we're discovering the secrets to a happy home in this particular message entitled, Do You Want a Happy Home? Now, this lesson is just one of eight in the series, The Divine Design, God's Design for Marriage and Family, and it's our gift to you in the format of your choice for your support to From His Heart this month of any amount. And you can find out more when you go to fromhisheart.org, or I'll tell you more later. Now, though, open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve to ask and then answer this important question, Do You Want a Happy Home? Now, Ephesians is a great book, six chapters, three all on the doctrinal side, positional truth, and then three, chapters four, five, and six on the practical side. How do you live this out? Here's what's true on paper. How do you take Christianity on paper and put it into practice? Because most of us struggle with that. We can get the, the, the paper side down. Okay, this is what the Bible says about my life on paper, but then... In practice, oftentimes it doesn't translate. So how do I live this out? And the scripture says, Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. What does it take to really enjoy and experience and have a happy home? A happy home starts with a happy marriage. Three key ingredients to a happy home, to a happy marriage. Ingredient number one, What does it take? It takes the lordship of Christ. As we have said before, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. The only one who can live it is Jesus. You can't live it. I can't live it. The apostle Paul couldn't live it. No one can live it in and of their own strength. The only one who can live the Christian life is Christ. And it takes the lordship of Jesus Christ to have a happy life, to have a happy marriage and a happy family. Psalm 127, verse 1, one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible. I use it uh, pretty much every time I do a wedding. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. God is saying, I don't care how hard you try. I don't care what you do. I don't care what kind of sacrifices you make. Unless you let me build your house, your labor will be in vain because you don't have what it takes. 
You can't produce a happy home, but I can. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. It takes the lordship of Christ. Now, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, kind of puts this into perspective. What does that mean? And the Bible uses a lot of different uh, ways and, and angles on this subject of the lordship of Christ. And it says this in verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What does that mean? That means that you have your old way of doing things. And the Lord is saying, hey, you take that off like you'd take off a dirty shirt, a dirty garment. You take that off and you put on the new self. Put on Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be king and master. See, it says, Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of everything. And you, you cannot be filled with God's spirit unless and until you recognize who he is and you have the fear of the Lord. Now, remember, the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that you're afraid of God. Like I'm God, so his name is mentioned, run for the hills. It's not that. The fear of the Lord is the awe of God. It's the reverence of God. It's the wow, God. It's giving him his rightful place. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And what it means to have Jesus be Lord of your life, it's giving him his rightful place as master in your heart and in your life. He is master. He is king. He is boss. He is Lord. Where? In here, where it matters the most, in my heart. Sanctify Christ, set him apart as Lord in your heart, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And so when I am filled with God's Spirit, when I'm controlled by a Spirit, when I'm walking in the fear of the Lord, it means I'm letting him be in charge of me. And I'm doing what he says, not what I say. Because I have taken myself off the throne and I have enthroned Jesus as Lord and Master and boss of my life. Psalm 119, verses 47 and 48. The psalmist said this, I shall delight in your commandments, which I love, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes, your laws. I'll meditate on those. But he says, I'll lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. Now, he lifts up his hands in praise because God's commandments are good, but he also lifts up his hands in surrender because everybody knows uplifted hands, that's the universal sign of surrender. So I, we do that in worship. Why do people lift their hands in worship? Well, the Bible talks about lifting up holy hands in worship, but it's a sign of surrender. And so what is the psalmist saying? Hey, I surrender, God, to your commands for my life. Because in life, you're going to hit times where you want to do this, but the command of God says that. And you're, you're going to be like, yeah, but Lord, I want to do this. Yeah, and my word says this. My word says you do the other. Well, you, you're coming to an impasse. What am I going to do? I'm going to lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love. I'm going to surrender to your commandments. The Lordship of Christ means you give Jesus his rightful place as master 
And it means secondarily that you take your rightful place as servant. He's the master, you're the servant. He sits on the throne of your life. You don't sit on the throne of your life. You know, we've said before, you've heard this before, in every Christian's heart, there's a cross and there's a throne. And when self is on the throne, Jesus is on the cross. But when self is on the cross, then Jesus is on the throne. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The servant does the will of the master. Jesus struggled with this. We see him in the garden, and and we see it played out. It's so practical because it's not easy to always do the will of God. And when Jesus was faced with the cross and the cup of the sin of the whole world, what did he pray three times? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's sweating blood. Gethsemane means oil press, and he's being pressed by the weight of the sin of the world. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I lift my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I surrender to your will, not my will. Hey, if you want to have a happy home, how blessed, how happy is the man who fears the Lord, who gives the Lord his rightful place as king, who takes his rightful place as king servant. Second ingredient, not only does it take the lordship of Christ, but it takes the sanctification of the tongue. The sanctification of the tongue. What gets homes, lives, marriages, families, what gets them in such trouble? The things that come out of the mouth. The Bible says this in the book of James about the tongue. The tongue is like a fire. It is a world of evil among the parts of our body. It spreads its evil through our whole body and starts a fire that influences all of life. It gets this fire from hell. You're just your tongue. It's real small in comparison to the rest of your body, but it can get you in all kinds of trouble. You say things you shouldn't say. And in, in marriage, in family, you say something you shouldn't say and it's out there and you try and reel it back and uh-uh, you already said what you thought about my mother. You know, it's out there and you can't reel it back. And uh, somebody said, you know, the part of our body that, that God is most concerned about in terms of creating us is our tongue. That's why he put it behind the bars of our teeth to, to try and hold it back. And the scripture says, no man can tame the tongue. You can't do it. I can't do it. It goes back to the Lord. He is the only one that can do it. He's the only one that can tame your tongue. So when we talk about sanctify your tongue, that word is a big theological word. What does it mean to sanctify? It means to set it apart for God. And you say, Lord, here is my life. Here is my hands, my feet. Here's my tongue. Put a guard, O Lord, over my tongue so that I wouldn't say things that would get me in trouble. So I wouldn't say things that would bring dishonor to your name. So I wouldn't say things that would wreck and ruin the relationships that I have with the people I love the most, my spouse, my children, my family. So when we talk about having a happy home, three characteristics, first of all, A happy home is characterized by words that are truthful. Words that are truthful. 
He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You're never more like the devil than when you lie because he is a liar and the father of lies. It's impossible for God to lie. God hates lying. You know how I know that God hates lying? Proverbs 6, there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, number one on the the hit list, a proud look. Haughty eyes, number two, a lying tongue. And then he goes through the list and he says, a false witness who utters lies. And then number seven, one who spreads strife among brothers. And the list of seven things God hates, two on the list are lying. He names it twice, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and then a false witness who utters lies. It's almost as if God says, I hate this, I hate this, I hate. Have I mentioned to you how much I hate lying? Because I really hate lying. A false witness who utters lies. God hates that. We need to speak truth to one another and truth to our spouse and truth to our kids. And it says in Ephesians 4.15 that we are speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow up into all aspects into Christ. You know, we have a, a problem in our world today where people have lost sight of what is true. I was uh, watching an interview, or at least a portion of an interview Matt Walsh did with this guy. And Matt Walsh, who is a conservative, said to this, this uh, I think he was a professor at some college, and he said, well, I just, uh, I'm just trying to get to the truth of it. And the guy said, hey, you're starting to really uh, bother me with all this truth stuff trying to get to the truth of it. He said, I'm about ready to shut down this interview. You're triggering me. Like, good grief. Just the word truth triggered you? Truth? He's just scared, you know? <laughs> and he said, he said to Matt Walsh, well, why don't you tell me what your truth is? The truth is not a subjective thing. It's not a possessive thing. It's not my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth. It is truth. And Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Sanctify them in the truth, John 17, 17. Thy word is the truth. That is the truth. Now, what you think about the truth, that's up to you. But the truth doesn't change. You know, there's a truth that's called the law of gravity. You say, well, that's your truth. Yeah? Go to a 10-story building and jump off, and it'll be your truth, too, because you're going down, right? That is just a truism, that there is a law of gravity. And so we need to speak truth to one another, speaking the truth in love. Let me tell you something. It is not loving to lie to somebody. It's not loving to tell somebody who is deceived, you're doing good. Yeah, just keep thinking that. You know, I'm struggling with anorexia. Well, uh, I just feel like I'm too fat. Well, you know, I can understand that. Maybe you need to cut back a little. This person is starving themselves to death. Well, I don't want to be mean to them. I don't want to say anything that would trigger them. Uh, You need to say something that's going to wake them up to the truth because they're going down a path that's going to bring total destruction to their lives. We speak the truth in love. There's nothing more loving than to tell someone the truth. Now, obviously, you don't use truth like a billy club. It's like, well, let me find somebody. Bam, you know? I just want you to know the truth. You're ugly. Here you go. Uh, That's not what you do right? We don't use it as a billy club. We speak the truth in love. But happy homes are characterized. They don't have a bunch of lies and deceit in the home. 
There's no falsehood. There's no deceit. Things are open and honest because that's what pleases the Lord. Secondly, a happy home is characterized by words that edify. Words that edify, words that build up according to the need of the moment. So Ephesians 4.29, it's a great verse to memorize. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Unwholesome word, a rotten word, a putrefying word. Think of, think of like rotten fruit. Have you ever taken a bite of uh, a piece of rotten fruit? It's awful. It's just, oh, the taste is just terrible. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No rotten, no corrupt word, no, no words that are filled with vulgarities and, and uh, people that, you know, I, I, I remember this one guy, he used to cuss and then he would see me and he's like, oh, Jeff's a Christian. So he'd say, uh, excuse my French, pardon my French. Like, that's not French. I, I took French in school. That's not French. But that was like his way of just saying, well, I'm, I'm okay. I can say whatever I want because I just say, excuse my French. It's kind of like we do with uh, bless his heart. Have you ever noticed that? Well, you know, so-and-so is so homely, bless his heart. You know, then it's okay. You can say whatever you want about him uh, because you blessed his heart as you degraded him. And so it's, it's one of those things. Hey, don't let any rotten words come out of your mouth. Don't speak rotten words to your spouse. Don't speak rotten words to your kids. Don't speak rotten words to your parents. Don't speak rotten words to yourself. With a lot of negative self-talk. How do I know? Because I played on my golf team yesterday. That's <laughs> like, I'm such an idiot. I was waiting for one of the guys to say, Jeff, you're not an idiot. You're not terrible. They just kind of stood by and said, yeah. yeah. I can see why you feel that way. Uh, so, so you got to watch what you say, uh, even to yourself. But we, we're not to speak the rotten words. We're to speak words that edify and words that build up. Listen, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In your tongue that's behind the bars of your teeth, you have the ability to speak life or to speak death. People remember what someone said to them that was a word of death. I have a friend of mine, David Collins. He was the Young Life leader when I was in high school. He helped me grow when I first became a Christian, a dear friend to this day. And he said to me, this was years ago, but he said, uh, my third grade teacher, we were all singing in class and she singled me out in front of the class and she said, you sing like a frog. Well, maybe he does. I don't know. But he remembered that. This guy at that time, he's like 35 years old. He remembers uh, Miss So-and-so in third grade told me I sang like a frog. Never wanted to sing again. I mean, who would want to sing if you sound like a frog, right? Unless you're Kermit. But he, he, he remembers those things. We can remember those things that people said to us that are cutting things. Hey, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Be careful what you say to your spouse, what you say to your kids, what you say to your loved ones. Remember I told you about this one friend of mine? He told me, this was like 30 years after the fact, he said, when I was a kid, my dad used to say such cutting words to me. I still remember as like a nine or 10-year-old kid, he told me, he said, son, you're so stupid that you couldn't pour water out of a boot if the instructions were written on the heel." Like, good grief. You went to a lot of trouble to just say I wasn't very smart. I mean, you didn't have to get into all that. But he remembered that, and that affected his life. Hey, 
Let's speak words that build up. Happy homes have words that build up, not words that tear down. According to the need of the moment, people need to be built up and encouraged. They don't need to be discouraged. You know, when we come to church, some churches get way off on this. So what does one pastor say? Well, I never talk about sin. I don't want to talk about anything that would uh, have any kind of um, feelings of uh, discouragement. So I just want everybody to be encouraged. I just want everybody to feel good when they leave. So he never talks about sin. He never talks about the things that are killing people. He never warns people of the wrath that is to come. He just makes them feel good. His church is a hospice center. What do they do at hospice? They shoot you up with drugs so you don't feel the pain, so that you can die and not be in pain. Listen, you don't want to go to hospice. Hey, I... I, I'm feeling a little sick. I could go to the hospital and get better. I could go to hospice and they give me drugs until I die. Well, wouldn't you want to go to the hospital and get better? At the hospital, they may hurt you a little bit because they're trying to get you better. And so what do we talk about in here? We talk about the, the thing that's killing us. We talk about sin and we recognize sin and we have to deal with sin in our lives. We have to face the brutal fact. And then we talk about the grace of God that is the remedy and the medicine for our sin, grace that is greater than all our sin. But until you understand your sin, Jesus will just be a tack-on for you. He'll just be an add-on for you. He'll just be somebody that you use to try and get a better job, to try and get a promotion. And that's how Jesus is presented in a lot of churches. Well, you know, if you, if you follow Jesus, then he'll give you wealth and he'll give you health and he'll give you prosperity. And Jesus didn't come to give you health and wealth and prosperity. He came to save your soul from hell. That's why he came. That's what we're missing today. We don't, we have people that they don't understand what danger they're in. They're one heartbeat away from hell. Well, that is great encouragement for us all. But it is sometimes difficult to stay pure in your thoughts and words, isn't it? But it's not impossible. The lesson today is called, Do You Want a Happy Home? And having that come true in your family and your marriage is critical to a happy home. You've heard part one of this lesson today. It's from Pastor Jeff's series, The Divine Design, God's Plan for Marriage and Family. And as we've mentioned, Many Christian homes today are not very happy. There's probably more fighting and yelling going on than peace and love and joy. And that means that there is a lack of understanding of what it takes to have a happy home. What does it take to really enjoy and experience a happy home? You can discover the answer to that in Pastor Jeff's new series, The Divine Design, God's Plan for Marriage and Family. You can apply the truths of all eight messages to your family and marriage and you will be blessed. If you'll do that, you'll see God's power work in you and through you. Now, this series is our gift of thanks to you for supporting From His Heart this month with a gift of any amount. It's available on CDs, DVDs, USB flash drive, or digital download, your choice. And for that gift, we'll send you the series as well as the companion booklet before you say, I do. To get these resources, you can make your gift when you call 866-40-BIBLE, 866-40-BIBLE, or go online to fromhisheart.org. 
Thank you, too, for joining us today on From His Heart. I'm Larry Nobles, inviting you to be right back here tomorrow for part two of the lesson, Do You Want a Happy Home? That's on Tuesday, when Pastor Jeff Shreve will open up God's Word and share real truth, real love, and real hope from God's heart. Here on From His Heart. From His Heart is the listener-supported broadcast ministry of Dr. Jeff Shreve, speaking the truth in love to a lost and a hurting world. Remember, no matter what, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Find out more at fromhisheart.org.